Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's a Gagan pod full of issues in the Premier League, La Liga and close to home. Former Socceroos icon Mark Schwarzer and former Denmark international Thomas Sorensen join us to break down the latest Socceroos squad and what it says about the direction Australia's going under Graham Arnold. We check in on the Premier League title race, relegation battle and even have a sneaky look at the championship and who might be coming up next campaign. And it's La Liga for breakfast on Monday with El Clasico between Barcelona and Real Madrid as we look forward to the biggest match of the season in Spain. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This is the Optus Sport Football podcast let's get in to the Gegenpop. we do have an old school Gegenpod lineup the keepers union are at it again thomas Sorensen and mark schwartz are two former premier league champions and stars and uh thomas great to have you back on the Gegenpod after another very interesting week in uh, premier league football and football all around the world yeah, no, it, there's always uh, exciting things uh, on and off the pitch. We always had all the debacle with uh, Gary Lineker and match of the day and, and all the traditions around it. So, uh, you know, uh, football is, is good and well. There's people and things to talk about, which is great. And that's why we do the show. And we will get to the Premier League, but I think it's important we start with the Socceroos because Australia will play for the first time since the World Cup. And Mark Schwarzer, as I welcome you, what are your general feelings and thoughts on the squad that has been named to take on Ecuador in two friendlies at the end of this month? Well, I, I don't think. I mean, there's a couple of there's a couple of surprises, I suppose, to to the lineup or to the squad announcement. But in general, I think it was, you know, it's. It's a solid squad, a side that, that predominantly makes up with players that played at the World Cup. And um, I wasn't overly um, surprised by a lot of the selections, or most of the selections, let's put it that way. Thomas, I guess you know we, we could have anticipated a lot of the familiar names, but some injuries meant that Graham Arnold was always going to look for some new names. And even though he has largely flagged that it's a, a thank you for the World Cup team, not everyone has made it, and it does mean some new faces are coming in. Yeah, of course, you know, you know, the Jim McLaren, Leckie, uh, Boyle, I think Rustic is, is out as well with injury. So it opens things up and, you know, we're going to talk about Alexander Robertson. I think it's, it's a young, uh, obviously uh, exciting talent uh, that's chosen to play for Australia. Um, and then Iran Kunda is there as a train on with, with the potential to, to get some game time. Uh, you know, I'm happy that uh, Jordan Boss has had a look in. I think he's one of the most exciting talents in the A-League. I think he's come on leaps and bounds over the, the last six months. You know, I followed him at, at Melbourne City, Aidan O'Neill as well. So, so I think there's, there's so many interesting things. It's got to be tough games. We, we, we saw what uh, Ecuador did at the World Cup. They got tremendous talent in, in that squad. Um, so it'll be, it'll be tough tests. And, and I think that's what you want. 
I think it's also good to see um, Brandon Borello get a chance. Um, been out of the squad for a little while, came back to Australia, played in the, for Western Sydney Wanderers and has done well. So it's nice to see him in the squad. Well, let's start with uh, Alexander Robertson because he is a fascinating backstory. His father, of course, was a professional player that uh, came to Australia, played for Marconi, Wollongong Wolves, Perth Glory, Sydney FC and even uh, Sydney United amongst others. And uh, Alex himself, born in Scotland, eligible to play for Peru through his mother, had played for England at under-18 level as recently as 2021. But now he receives his first senior international call-up to Australia. So a four-way tug of war, Mark. That's kind of typical of uh, many Australian players, though, that everyone's always got options. Yes, they do. Um, look, I, I'm I'm pleased that he's decided to play for Australia. And ultimately, you know, look, it's it's a really big decision for any player. Um, and, and I think, you know, he said himself, what I read, he went with his heart. He's always felt Australian. He's got such a, a connection with football and Australia. So for him, it was a pretty simple decision to play for Australia. Um, and uh, I, I think that's how you should approach it. You know, where does your heart lie? How do you feel? What what do you really deep down feel that you are? And, and, and who do you want to really represent? And I think um, he was he was very clear with that. Thomas, as far as you know, being a player that's in the youth team of Manchester City, he spent some time on loan in Scotland, but he's not really been exposed a great deal to international level, but uh, to senior uh, football level, I should say, in club environment. Uh, is this just the reality of players that have uh, you know three or four passports and can be able to leverage different countries against each other that it might open the doors for you a little bit ahead of time or a little bit earlier? And even if he is a, a great uh, talent and a great prospect, we're still talking about someone who's still only you know in his teens or uh, not quite 20. Uh, I mean, it, it does mean that uh, you know you can actually create a bit of a market for yourself for international football. Yeah, of course. You know, you, you, you can probably get a, a look in a bit bit earlier than, than you normally would. Uh, you, you know, we're seeing the same story with Volpato in, in Italy and he's hoping to get in their squad, uh, but could have got in probably in the Socceroos squad before that. Uh, but I like that he's chosen with his heart. I think that, you know, that's... That, that's what I, you know, uh, that, you know, that's how I perceive international football. You should play where your heart lies, not not be a mercenary and and pick and choose and uh, to further your career. So I know it's happening and and, and good on, on on the players that do that. As far as as far as Graham Arnold, when he was reappointed as Socceroos coach, he did say that it's a clean slate. Uh, everyone is available for Socceroos selection. So Thomas, you mentioned Christian Volpato there, of course, Alessandro Ciccati is another Australian that's in a similar situation. Uh, is this just a, a maybe reflection of Arnie's diplomacy or is it more just a reflection of the fact that the Socceroos made the knockout rounds of the World Cup and with uh, FIFA announcing overnight that at the 2026 World Cup, eight third-placed teams will now go through to the knockout rounds of 2026 as well. So uh, there's never been a better opportunity to get yourself into a situation uh, both to qualify and also to go deep in a World Cup. And that makes Australia maybe that little bit more attractive. Yeah, you know, I certainly think that, you know, there, there is a, you know, after the World Cup, um, you know, there, there's definitely a better, bigger shine on, on the Socceroos. Um, and, and that's great. And, you know, for, for young players to... You know they have to have to have something to aspire to, and and certainly now the opportunities as as well as you say with the World Cup being extended, uh, you know you, you got chances to play at the absolute highest level, and and thank God the Socceroos have had a, a great history of qualifying, which which is fantastic. So, 
You know, again, I, I think uh, Graham Arnold, you know, you presume has done a great job with, with these players, trying to reach out and, uh, and try to get him in the, in the fold. He's succeeded with one. It's, you know, Valpato is probably a bigger project. But, you know, again, um, you know, if they don't want to come, they don't want to come. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's trying to get the best players you can possibly get to play for you. And, and uh, he seems to be doing okay with that. But again, it's not necessarily. Look, I, I think there's a there's a there's a balance that needs to be found. In certain uh, instances, Valpato is a good example of obviously being upset for various reasons. Uh, I'm not 100 percent on on up to speed with it, but I, I believe that you know he's never really felt the love and felt uh, felt that he's uh, felt that Australia really gave him the respect that possibly he deserves. Which you know one could argue either way, but I I, I think. To play for your country, and we mentioned, I mentioned earlier on about Alex Robinson, Robertson, it's about what you feel and you want players to want to play for Australia. You don't want to be going out there necessarily and not begging them, but trying to convince them that Australia is the right path for them. Um, I'm always, I've always been a big believer of, you know, if you can stand up there listening to your national anthem, um, that you've, you know, the country that you've chosen to represent, does that mean anything to you? what sort of feeling does it give you when you're singing the national anthem when you hear the national anthem um and and i think that's always a an interesting indicator to see how you feel about a country and for me that was always it was a no-brainer um that i i i I mean not that i ever had a chance to play for germany but i didn't want to i always wanted to play for australia that was first and foremost and i think uh, all, all, a lot of my you know teammates through them were the same. You know, I think all of them were. There, there wasn't one that I think regretted playing for Australia. They all were were very, very proud and and wanted to desperately play for Australia. Um, so that's what we still want to breed in. We still want to have that within the squad. And I think you know we see it with Harry Suter, for example, had a chance to play for Scotland but chose Australia and wanted to play for Australia. And I mean, I hear stories that you know he's the most uh, Scottish-sounding Australian player playing in the Premier League, um, and and and, it, and he is. But he he feels Australian. He is Australian. He he um, he believes in the cause, and and he feels very passionate about playing for Australia. And that's what we want. Doesn't matter how what they sound like. It's it's the passion and what they feel. Now, one of the young guns that's been picked is Nestor Iran Kunda. He's in the squad as a train-on, although Graham Arnold has said he could still get game time, which is interesting. Uh, Thomas, uh, given that he's going viral every week with uh, goals in the A-League men's, he's in red-hot form, what exactly is the purpose of not naming him in the squad proper, but naming him as a train-on when he may still actually get onto the pitch? Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's just, uh, you know, it's just a little carrot. I think he's, he's as you said, he, he's burst onto the scene. Uh, there was a few instances last season, but this season he's certainly, uh, as you said, put on some highlights. He can, he's got a lot of power. He's quick. Um, but, yeah, it's also, uh, you know, just saying, yes, you've done well. Um, you are invited in. We'll have a look at you. But, but yeah, you, you, you know, you still got ways to go and, and it's a great opportunity. I like the way uh, teams in general, national teams, invite young players in that probably not would be in the squad, but they, they can come in, get a feel for the environment. The coaches could get a feel for them. They can learn. They can, uh, you know, uh, improve. Because um, I, sti- I still think he's not, you know, he's not the, the finished product. He's got a, a lot of things to work on. But uh, there, there's so much raw talent there that uh, it'll, it'll be stupid not to... Uh, you know, get him in the fold early on. Try to shape him. Try to 
you know, help him with his his career. And and if you can get a few minutes out of him, uh, if he deserves and he, he he works his butt off to to get those minutes, yeah, great on him. I think uh, I think it's a great decision. Mark, is this just classic Graham Arnold, the mental coaching side of things? I'm not going to name you in the squad, son. I'll name you as a train on. And if you impress me, in you go. Like, it, it just seems, it's it's telegraphed and almost you can kind of see what's happening. But is that a bit of the magic of what Arnie's been able to do in terms of tapping into the player's mentality? Uh, yes. I, I think it's really important to to acknowledge someone doing well but also not necessarily give them an easy pathway into the side. They have to really want it and they have to earn it. Um, I, I think it's great for him to be involved in and around the players. I think there's a lot of players there that he can look up to, he can learn from, um, feel the environment, see what it's like to be part of the Socceroos, the family that the Socceroos are, and it might inspire him even more. And I think that's really important. That's that's one of the big reasons why you bring in young players, to have them training day in, day out with with seasoned campaigners, with guys that know what it means, what it's like to play for the national team, and you want to give them an early insight and what the demands are to reach the certain levels that are expected to play for the national team. Now, the uh, the FIFA rules about uh, players being able to move overseas before they turn 18 are probably going to be a, a real a point of contention if Iran Kunda's form continues because he doesn't turn 18 until February of next year, which means that in the A-League off-season, he won't be able to, to move. He'll probably have to stay in Australia. Mark, um, what is actually the the best way for him to manage his development then? He hasn't been, he's been fast-tracked into the Socceroos, but when he goes back to age level, he'll go back to the under-17s at the uh, under-17 Asian Cup with the Joeys. So uh, as far as sort of managing expectations over 11 months, uh, where uh, your career can fluctuate a huge amount at that age, what is the best path of approach for someone that's still only 17 and kind of has to bide his time? Because uh, if the FIFA rules didn't exist, he probably would be moving overseas in the A-League offseason. Yeah, look, I, I think it's all part of the, the, the process, a plan. You, you, I think you know, that, that you look at individual players and you, and you kind of almost plan out a route for them, an expectation of, of uh, development. And because of, the, because of his age, because of his, his uh, availability with the, the younger national teams, it's important that he, that he partakes in those. And it's important that he delivers on those levels um, you know, to, to show how much of a, of a talent he is. And uh, I also think that coming through the system, um, certainly playing in Australia until he's 18, isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, to play first-team football, to play at the highest level in Australia, be part of the national team, be on the radar, being able to learn from a lot of players that are there, I think could be very, very uh, positive for him and have a real positive impact for him going forward. You know, I think it's important, uh, you know, to to have the right kind of guidance, uh, the right kind of uh, people around um, that that can sort of point you and, and and first of all help develop you as a person, as a player, uh, and and give you some reality checks. Um, so I think you know, for him to 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 get into you know the Socceroos squad, you know, he'll he'll get some lessons there. There'll be people who can advise him. Uh, I think Calvert at, at um, you know Adelaide seems to be be good with young players. You know, he's got, he's got a Craig Goodwin there as well, who, who's who's been to Europe, who's who's had his struggles, who's had some successes, and and has come back. So so I think that's important that uh, you, you just have the patience to 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 get to the right level before you make the move. Um, we've seen you know with obviously Asani went came back. You know, Quall went recently and and has not sort of 
burst onto the scene in Scotland has sort of had to be patient. So, so it's not easy. So, so you got to be ready for it. But he's got the the tools, and and he just needs to to shape them and and, and listen to the people around. So, I, I hope he does that. Let's talk about one of the big absentees. No, Tom Rogic, as was the case at the World Cup, and he's only played three minutes total for West Brom since the start of February. So, six weeks of football now. So. Mark, is there a road back? And if so, what is the road back for Tom Rogic? Because West Brom was an eye-raising choice uh, for many, and it, it seems as though now, as the championship season has worn on, that uh, he's not part of West Brom's plans. Yeah, it's a tough one because he signed with West Brom when Steve Bruce was the manager as well. So you know, you you sign the manager sells you the sells you the idea of playing for a club, and then he obviously moves on, uh, loses his job, and the new manager comes in. And and so often is the case, they have a different idea. So for Tommy, it's I mean, he's been there before. He knows what it's like. He's a seasoned campaigner. It's not like he's uh, like he's young and naive or innocent. You know, he, he knows what it's like in professional football and playing in Europe. Um, and again, it depends on what his aspirations are. You know, does he does he want to still put himself out there and still be part of the Socceroos squad moving forward? Does he want to play at that level? If he does, he knows he's going to have to get game time. Um, not playing matches, doesn't matter where you are, is is uh, is not. Um, is 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 a real obstacle being selected for the national team. I don't think anymore these days you you necessarily get selected playing for the national team if you're not playing more regularly, at least getting enough game time for your club week in week out. It may happen for a little while. Um, we saw it with Matty Ryan for a little while, but he was still able to to play the odd game here and there, but also maintain a really high level of performances when playing for the Socceroos. Outfield players, I think, is a little bit different. Um, and for Tommy Rogic. You know, I, I think he, he just needs to get back to playing football and staying fit and, and putting in some good performances. And then, then I think his way back could be really quick. So what's, what's, do you think that he's, he'll sit now or he sits now and looks back and why did I leave Celtic? Or, or because, you know, he was in a great spot there. Uh, and and was it, is it a case of oh, the grass wasn't green on the other side or, or, or did he have to leave? I really don't know. Um the indications were that it was his decision and his decision alone and that the club i think were were i mean my indicate my my feeling was that the club were a little bit disappointed that he's leaving uh, accepted it because obviously what he's accomplished at the club um but they were a little bit disappointed that he that he was leaving as were the fans um maybe for him personally he just felt it was the right moment obviously um new challenge maybe he was feeling a little bit stale i, I don't know i mean you don't know um mm. but it obviously hasn't gone to plan. He has he has had a, had a tough time um, in terms of getting regular first team football. Will he look back with regret? Um, look, I, I don't know. Like I, I, I look at things in my career, and I'm sure you will as well, Thomas. And you, and you kind of look back. I don't like to look back at things of regret. I, I I look back at and think I wish things had happened, but I don't look back and regret a lot of the decisions I made. I made them because, you know, I'd say every time I took all the information I had and made a, a calculated decision. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And it's not necessarily a regret thing. It's more about, okay, I was unlucky or this for this reason or another, it didn't quite work out. But regret, no. Uh, I don't know. I, he, look, he may be completely different. He may regret it. But I, I think the fact that he left on his own terms and wanted to leave when he did, when he could have very easily stayed, obviously in his head, from, as far as I'm concerned, he was adamant uh, he needed a change. 
He's only 30. Um, do either of you think that Tom Rogic has played for the Socceroos for the last time? Um, you know, I, I, who knows? Again, I think it, it comes down to, to what, what his mindset is. And, and uh, he, he's probably at a, at a point now, He first of all, he needs to play. And then he might be the one that needs to reach out. Um, who knows if it needs a, a change of manager at some point for him to get a, a chance in. But he, he's a good player. Like we, We've seen it in the past. If he, if he can get back to to the form he, he, he displayed at Celtic then, uh, and for the Socceroos even, um, you know, of, of course he, he would uh, get a chance to get back in. So I think that's his first focus, you know, get back to playing, get back to good form, and I'm sure he'll be welcomed back. I, I think it all comes down to him. I, I think it totally is down to how much desire he has to play at what level. You know, does he have that desire to play for the Socceroos? Um, and if so then, you know, it'll play out by the end of the season. He will have either, he's either he's either staying and just, you know, dealing with what he's got or he's going to move and, and really give it a go because he's at a stage, like you said, he's only, what, 30 years old. He's still got plenty of time to play for the Socceroos mm. and he could still be a very valuable member of the side, but it all comes down to what he feels and what he's got thinking in his head. Just quickly on some of the other new faces, Joe Gauchy from Adelaide United called in to the squad. Geordie Boss from Melbourne City as well, rewarded for his form. And Aidan O'Neill also from Melbourne City, who are currently the runaway team at the top of the A-League men's. Thomas, uh, I mean, good for the Melbourne City project, uh, good for the Melbourne City team, and good for these individuals in isolation as well, particularly Aidan O'Neill in that midfield area. Yeah, no, he, he's been in great form of late. He obviously sat out with injury for, for a lot of last season, um, and, and Melbourne City, I think, missed him. Uh, this he scored two goals uh, against Brisbane uh, at the weekend, so he's in top form. He's out of contract uh, at the end of this season, so... So this is also a great boost for, for his career as well. Uh, there's been talks, obviously, of him going to France to try, uh, Troy and, and Kisnorbo, but you know nothing has, has sort of obviously been signed. So, so, yeah, great for him. I think he's a good player. Jordan Boss, uh, you know, Jordy Boss is, is you know, superb. Uh, I think he, he's got all the tools in, in the box. I think, you know, I've watched the games tactically. Uh, you know, he's physically very strong. Um, he, can, he can run up and down. You know, we've seen the goals that he can score. But, but what I look for is, is how does he fit in tactically? How, how does he do the small jobs? Uh, and he, he's very, you know, he's very disciplined, which I really like. You know, he always gets back into his positions. He, he's got a good body position. He's always aware of, of uh, the players around him. Um, so I think he, he's, he's probably... Of, of the young players in there, you might not get the, the biggest hooray, but I think he's the most ready to actually go overseas. Uh, I think he's, he's got the tools uh, and the mindset uh, for it. So it's great to see him in there. And Gauchi as well, I think, has been good. He's probably the, the keeper with the biggest upside because we've, we've talked here on the Gagging Pod. There's Tom Glover, Maynard Brewer at, at uh, Charlton. Uh, but I think Gauchi is probably in there because he, he has that big, he's the youngest and he's got the biggest upside, I think, um, right at this moment. Well, on the subject of Patrick Kisnorbo and Trois, interesting that you raise it, Tommy, because uh, as much as the Gegenpod and uh, Optus Sport has... S- uh, sorry for my uh, pronunciation of Troy. No, no, that's all right. <laughs> I mean, as much as we've been uh, celebrating the achievements of Australian coaches, particularly Kevin Musket in the J-League and Ange Postacoglu at Celtic, 
Trois not going quite as well. In fact, they are three points adrift inside the relegation zone. Patrick Kisnorbo has won one of his 13 games since taking charge, and their next match is vital because they are 19th and they take on 16th placed Brest, who are the lowest safe team above the relegation zone. They're on 23, Trois on 20. Uh, Mark, it's not gone the way that Patrick Kisnorbo would have hoped. Um, what's your read on how much time and, and how much leeway the club will give him, given it is a, a team that's a member of the City Football Group, and, and they would have been well aware of who they were hiring when they gave Patrick Kisnorbo the job? Yeah, but they're still a club, right, that are balancing books, wanting to be in the top level. The City Group will want their sides playing at the highest levels, competing high up the table. Um Obviously, there must be some sort of belief that he can turn things around. Otherwise, I, I think he could have been gone a while ago if they didn't believe that. Um, to have that record is pretty is pretty poor. Um, you know, st- obviously stating the obvious. Um, this weekend, you would be surprised. I mean, one one would argue maybe the fact that they've left it this late that maybe they'll stick with him for the rest of the season. Others might think that, you know what, they're going to give him this one last chance on the weekend. Um, how clubs usually operate, I would think the pressure must be massively on his shoulders now to deliver this weekend. Otherwise, it could be the end. Yeah, no, I think for, for Patrick, there's obviously a, a lot of pressure. Um, um, but I also feel and everything I can sort of gather is that he's got a lot of support uh, within the City Group. There's a lot of belief and, uh, you know, and, and everything that he... He did at, at Melbourne City. He, he did with the women's team at Melbourne City before that. Um, you know, it, it's always taken a, a bit of time. You know, he's that sort of personality that he needs to connect with the players. And there's a language barrier, obviously, which is, you know, something that you have to contend with. Um, and, and I don't know what the financial implications, that would be something that would be interesting to look into f- going from from the top tier of French football down to the second, um, because that, uh, I presume, could also play a part in keeping him or not. Um, you know, how much money are they going to lose out on? Or is it something that they can actually look at and say, you know what, we, we're, we're in for the long haul. We, we're trying to build something here. And, and he's the one that we want to, to be part of it. So, you know, you know, the pressure is certainly on this weekend and, and going forward. But I still feel that he's got a little bit of leeway still to go. I mean, coaches have these setbacks. Uh, Kevin Muscat's time at uh, St. Truden in Belgium seems like a bit of a distant memory at the moment, Mark, because of the job he's done at Yokohama F. Marinos. So is this just a, an inevitable process that Patrick Isnombo had to go through? Or do you think there's there's a chance that, it, hey, if they win this weekend, uh, the great escape might be on? Uh, a bit of both, yeah, 100%. So like if obviously they don't win on the weekend and say he were to, the worst case, lose his job... Um, it will be an incredible experience for him and one that would you would think he would learn from and will make him a better coach from it. I think that was very obvious with Kevin Muscat. His experience in Belgium certainly made him a stronger and more determined uh, individual to succeed. And he obviously worked on himself and the results are there for everyone to see that he's done incredibly well in Japan. Um, so I think for, for Paddy, you know... <laughs> He, he he's obviously going to be feeling the pressure. He knows what it's going to be like. You know, football fans can be pretty ruthless wherever you are. And uh, by all accounts, social media um, is, is not the kindest towards him, which is understandable to some degree. Football fans want their teams to do well. And if they're, they're, they're performing, certainly results-wise, that badly, um, they're, going, they're going to voice their, their uh, dissatisfaction. Um, 
but but it won't be the end of him. If worst case were to happen, it won't be the end of him. It hopefully will just make him a stronger and a better manager for it. Well, that's the state of uh, Australian football at the moment. Stay with us here on the Gegen Pod after this short break. We'll launch headfirst into the Premier League and we've got a little bit of La Liga coming up later in the show as well. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honouring highly requested new colours for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to the Gegen Pod. We've got former Socceroo Mark Schwarzer and former Denmark international Thomas Sorensen in the pod this week. And it's time to talk Premier League where... It was very much as you were in the title race, but the top four race, a bit of a different story because we've got really inconsistent form for Manchester United, Tottenham, Liverpool, even Newcastle, who got back on the winner's list at the weekend. But Thomas, gee, this race for fourth, it, it's taking as many twists and turns as the relegation battle at the moment. Quite simply, who wants it? Yeah, that that's the, the big question. Um, you know, I, I still think United will be... Uh, will be fine in the top four. Uh, but then below that, uh, phew, you know, as you said, who wants it? Brighton, I think have got a great chance. Um, you know, I, th- I think the next four games, five games are, are going to be, be crucial. Liverpool got some, you know, really, really tough games, um, you know, with uh, Arsenal, Man City and uh, Chelsea, I think the next three. Uh, so that could shape their season. Uh, they could be totally out of it after those three or they could be right in it. Uh, Newcastle, I think, dropped off. They're not scoring enough. Uh, yeah, it's going to be, uh, you know, at the moment, uh, picking between Brighton and Newcastle, I'll probably pick Brighton because they, they seem to be on the up. You're always looking for inform uh, coming to the end of the season. And then, you know, Tottenham, uh, they've got some uh, relegation uh, battles uh, that, uh, that are coming up for them with, with Everton and, and Bournemouth and uh, Southampton over the next uh, four games. I think they're, they're playing those three. So, you know, and some of them, are, or two of them are away from home, which is, uh, you know, a, a tough, tough task sometimes this, this time of year. So, yeah, it's, it's very, very open. Um, yeah, let's, let's, let's give Brighton a, a shout out. So, um, you know, I, I would love to see them make a charge. Uh, Bright, Brighton have got a really interesting challenge. When you look at the next five weeks, um, Palace uh, tomorrow, Brentford uh, at home. So Palace and Brentford both at home. And then they've got Bournemouth away. Their next three games are big, right? They can very easily win those next mm. three games and find themselves in a really healthy position. But then the, then the big ones come. Then they've got Spurs away, Chelsea yeah, away. You, you always got to win home. the big one. <laughs> yeah, but you know that that they're, they're, you always got to win the big ones to get in there. Uh, of course, but you, no, you got to win all of them to get there. Really, let's be honest, or most of them. I mean, they're, they're the three deciders, though. For me, that that defines Brighton's season. It comes down to three games almost for me, because at this stage of the season, that could make or break the finish of their season. Those three games. Well, in that uh, in that mix, maybe Chelsea have won three in a row for the first time since October. So. Can we finally put minds at rest for the Chelsea fans that Graham Potter is their guy, Mark, and Chelsea have finally got it right? 
No, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. Obviously, the turnaround in form has is, been <laughs> long overdue. Um, was something that I think a lot of Chelsea's fan, fans thought it wouldn't happen unless the manager moved on. Um, and, and obviously, it, it has been a, a welcome turnaround in, 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 in form. But the expectation at Chelsea Football Club, certainly from their fans um, over the last 20-odd years, is to be up in that top four, competing for trophies all the time. Yes, they're still in the Champions League, but the inconsistent form that they've had throughout the season, I don't know, it, it, it just it worries you that you feel that when it comes to the nitty-gritty, now these these sort of like the, the, uh, the quarterfinal stages of the Champions League, that you have to be on it. You have to be on it every game. And Chelsea just haven't been on it. Maybe this is the beginning of that run. Maybe Chelsea will go on an amazing run. Um, but it has to be one hell of a change in form, hasn't it? Because over the course of the season, they haven't been able to do it. Look, what they do have, they have a squad that is incredibly talented. And this is this is, but this has been Chelsea from day one, I think, since Graham Potter's been in charge. They have an incredibly talented squad. It's about finding the right mix and getting the right players out on that football pitch and playing and playing some football. And they've struggled with all, all, all angles. They've struggled with keeping players fit. They've struggled with finding the right combinations. And they've struggled with players delivering the expectation. Um, and obviously, everybody has to take a, part, uh, take, take a part in that, a responsibility in that. The manager, the players, everyone. And Chelsea have just been way off it. Um, but the signs are certainly better after three wins. Yeah, I certainly think that that 2-0 win against Dortmund was was crucial for them. Um, you know, just for the rest of the season, for the confidence, you know, for the pressure as well on Graham Potter, just to ease it a little bit. They've got three home games now coming up. Um, you know, uh, so, you know, you and the, that three home game stretch is finishing with Liverpool. So, so I think that game is going to be crucial because um, I think they're going to win against Villa as well. So, so it, it's... Uh, it, it, it's a, it's a tough one because I still think they're lacking that striker and, and uh, you know they they got Nkunku he's coming at the, in the summer I think that that's going to be huge uh, so they got to find some way to get to there because they're lacking goals you know Havertz Felix uh, you know they're good players but are they going to get you those fifteen twenty goals um, I'm 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 not too sure um, so that that's and they're not scoring you know from midfield like we see in Arsenal where they're just you know, spreading the goals around. Um, you know, so the, the there's improvement there with Rhys James and Chilwell back, but it's still not the Chelsea that you would expect with all these signings. But Onkunku also isn't your traditional striker. He is kind of like he can. He's one of those players that can play anywhere across the front. Um, so look, I, I'm a big fan. I think he, I think he's mm, done yeah. really really well the last couple of seasons. I really do like him. But he's more of the same. He's more of what they've got. They haven't really defined. They haven't got that out and out striker. Somebody who's gonna who's gonna grab hold of it, you know, like a Drogba, like a Costa did. You know, there's no one like that, um, and that's what worries me as well. They need to try and find someone that gives them something a little bit different up front as well. Yeah, but they tried that with Lukaku, and that that didn't quite work, though. Yeah, that's that 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 is that is just like the greatest. That's one of the greatest mysteries of the world, isn't it? I mean, uh, Romelu Lukaku. Um, <laughs> He's dropping form. The way he's been uh, not able to handle the pressure coming back to Chelsea, um, the drop off completely is is one of the greatest mysteries in football. Just quickly on the title race, where there there wasn't any material change, it, it could really 
mix it up a bit this weekend because City play in the FA Cup and then their next league game is against Liverpool, which means Arsenal could potentially go eight points clear if they beat Crystal Palace. And yes, City have got games in hand. They're currently annihilating RB Leipzig in the Champions League. So uh, at the time of recording, they'll be going through to the next round there. But it is the mental barrier, Thomas, of eight points enough for Arsenal that even if they know there are games in hand, it could be the moment where where City mentally their priorities do change to pursuing that Champions League uh, title that has eluded them for such a long time. You know what? I, I think uh, Manchester City is is uh, geared, built for for these sort of uh, run-ins with uh, you know with competition on all fronts. Um, so so I, I I'm not worried about it. I think uh, the players are you know they're well aware what what is needed. Um, they're very consistent. Uh, you know so I, I I don't think it's it's gonna face them uh, going eight points down. I think they're gonna they know they have Arsenal as well, so they know at least they've got a chance of. Of, of pulling three points back. Uh, you know, Liverpool, yeah, maybe two years ago, a year ago, it would have been... Uh, but I, I still don't think uh, it's going to be the contest that, uh, that, that we, you know, that we think it's going to be. I think uh, City, the way they're playing at the moment, I think are just a little bit better than, than Liverpool. Um, so... Well, we'll see. You know, I hope that it's still going to be tight. I, again, we talked about it last week. We don't want to see anyone running away with it. So I want to see it go all the way to the wire. And, and I hope that City can manage both Champions League and, and the Premier League. And I think they will. Let's go down to the relegation battle then. And rather than uh, do the weekly question of uh, who's having a dead cat bounce, who is in trouble, who's going down this week, because it seems to just mix up every (laughs) single week. Uh, Right now, nine teams separated by just five points. I want to ask a bigger picture question. Is three down, three up the right number of teams? And in a season like this, do we actually have an argument that it should be more? Oh, like, you know what? Like... I, I like the playoffs. I like the way they do the playoffs. But I also really like the the relegation playoff. The 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 say like in Germany's the th- the third bottom team will play off against the third team in the league. Um, so I wouldn't be against increasing the number of teams that get relegated to four potentially. So having having the the bottom two go down automatically. The the third bottom will be in uh, will be in that. Sorry, hang on. The bottom three will go down. You'll have the playoff system still in the championship, but you'll also have uh, one of the teams playing off. So the team that finishes fourth bottom has a playoff a playoff game. I'm not a, I'm not averse to that either. I, I I like that. I like the idea of having uh, a playoff. A one, like a two home and away. Would you even entertain the idea of, um, instead of a straight two-legged tie, maybe third last and fourth last go into a six-team tournament of some sort? So currently we have the playoffs in uh, for four teams in the championship. Do you make it four championship teams, two Premier League teams, into the hat you go, and, and that's the way that we do promotion relegation playoff? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I'm open for any... I'm open... I'm open for something else as well. Like, uh, like I said, I, I like the idea of a team, you know, finishing like, like I said, like in Germany, third bottom, but still have the chance of end up, you know, making it through by having a playoff. So yeah, look, I, I think if you have four teams going down, you could easily very much have uh, one of those teams joining the mix. I don't know, 
two of those teams joining the mix, absolutely. Why not? Let's 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 try something. Thomas, uh, in, in your career, you you know you played in teams that were you know often mid table and and well above that trouble. How much more stressful would life have been if four had been going down instead of three? Ah, <laughs> oh, to be fair, I, I have been close down there, so uh, you know you always. You know how much it means to, to, to obviously, first of all, the club, the fans, and, and also your livelihood. Because, uh, you know, a few of the contracts that I had with, you know, uh, you know Stoke City, for example, you know, we, we had a big relegation drop, drop off in, in our pay. So we, we would drop uh, 70% if we went down. So for a lot of players, uh, that was massive as well. So, so again, you look over the shoulder and, and, and there, there is... You know, there's a there's a lot to it for everyone involved. Um, but yeah, for the spectacle, uh, I think that's what we want. Like we, we we yes, we all looking to to you know we're discussing who's going to win the championship and the Champions League and everything else. But I think it's equally as exciting at the bottom uh, of the Premier League uh, and, and the top of the Championship. Um, so yeah, anything that we can do to to make it more interesting, uh, to have uh, you know a bigger spectacle, I think uh, yeah, I agree with Swartz. I think you know, bring it on, uh, and I think as players as well, if you you know at the end of the day, you know you want to play in big games, you want to be you know as much as you know <laughs> it, it can be horrible at times. That's also where you want to be. You know you, you want to be involved in you know mid table is the worst sometimes. You know coming towards the end of the season, yes you're safe. But you're missing that nerve, that edge of games because, uh, you know, win or lose, it, it doesn't make a big difference. Um, you know, if you're at that bottom, you, you feel it every single week. You know, you, it, it's the passion, the everything, the, the, you know, the pressure and uh, yeah. And for fans as well, for TV audience, it'll be great. Just looking at the championship, Burnley currently running away with it. Um, at, at the time of recording, they are safe in the top two by 16 points, so almost certain uh, mathematical uh, certainty not too far away for them that they'll be returning to the Premier League. But when you look at this huge morass of teams that are all separated by a handful of points, Fulham's the only promoted team that's looking good to survive, obviously. Is there anything, Mark, you're seeing in the Championship that convinces you that a team coming up is going to make a material difference or will they just add themselves to this list of 8, 9, 10 every year that are basically in a anything-goes battle against the drop? Um, no, I, I don't think there's any team... And I and I think the longer teams are out of the out of the um, the Premier League, the the less likely they're going to come up and do it safely. Um, look, we've seen Fulham; it's on their third attempt, their third attempt of up and down. They've finally got it, got it right, and that's no guarantee for for other clubs either, right? So Fulham Fulham have done some serious investing over the various campaigns. Um, I, I think. Like you look at Burnley, for example. Burnley are a very, very different team to the team that went relegated uh, twelve months ago, and they also play a very different type of football. So one would argue that they're actually playing a really interesting and very exciting game of football these days. Are those players good enough to bring it up? Look, Leeds United did it. Leeds United brought it up with a really high intensity, hard working, quick paced game. Can a Burnley do it? Yeah, they can do it, but but the likelihood is is far less. But then they get promoted. There's more money. There's more ability to buy certain better players. Um, look, there is a possibility, but you you are up against it. You you there's no doubt about it. You are up against teams that have been in the league for at least two years by then, uh, but the rest are a lot more. 
and they've had more money. They've had the ability to, to create a foundation and that's what you're often coming up against. So it, it is going to be an ongoing struggle. The gap is pretty significant. Yeah, and if you look at that top six, you've got obviously Luton, Millwall, uh, Blackburn as well. You can even argue you Middlesbrough, um, you know, that... <laughs> You know, they, you know, they are teams that don't have that foundation um, that Sheffield United, uh, who were obviously in the Premier League not long ago, and, and Burnley has. So, so uh, it, it's, it's, a, you know, it, it's going to be tough for, for any of those teams, I think, to, to cement themselves un, unless they can do some shrewd business. Uh, we, we've obviously seen what Nottingham Forest, they threw the kitchen sink at every single player who was available and, and, and got it in. And so far, they're just keeping their head above water in the Premier League. Um, but but yeah, it, it, it's the teams that really, you know, just are able to identify the right talent that fits in with their team. Um, we see Brentford obviously do it really well. Um, they came up with with a with a strategy and a system and everything in place. So I think you, you need to be smart to be able to survive in the Premier League. And I think Fulham have probably realised that after a few seasons that it's. Uh, you know, there's a way to go about it, and and they've seemed to have at least got the right players and the right mix uh, together. Finally, just quickly, then I, I might be able to anticipate Mark Schwartz's answer to this question. But Thomas, who do you want to see? Burnley's up, but the the rest of the uh, second place is wide open between Sheffield United, Middlesbrough, Luton, Millwall, Blackburn, and then getting into the playoffs: Coventry, Norwich, West Brom, Watford. They're all within four points, so it's still a massive uh, race. But who do you want to see get promoted to the Premier League next season? You know what? I think you know Middlesbrough. Uh, I think with, with Carrick, I think would would be interesting. Uh, a little bit like Burnley, some new ideas. Uh, they've they've really gone away from what they were in the in the past. Um, you know, and then Blackburn. I've got my my good old teammate Yondal Thomason doing a great job there. Uh, so they're just hanging on uh, in the sixth spot at the moment, and and they've had a, a good run in the cups as well. But yeah, Luton and Millwall. I, I just struggle to see. You know how they can, uh, you know, you know how they can add much to to the Premier League. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I see it. Uh, other than Burnley and Sheffield United, Middlesbrough, Blackburn, I think are are the ones that I would like to see up. Yeah, I, I agree. The, the three that Thomas just mentioned there, I mean, Company, Mark Carrick, and John Dahl Thomason. I mean, I, I I think that's fresh blood. It's new ideas. Um, if you look at Michael, I mean, look, you, you can you can have a great argument for all of them. Vincent Company's done an incredible job at Burnley. Turnover of players, losing players, um, like literally a matter of days before the start of the season, within the season, um, and rebuilding that side and to be flying at the top is remarkable. Middlesbrough Michael Carrick since he's come in has worked wonders with very little changes at all. Um, dealt with the players, he seemingly has coached them. And we don't hear that too often, right? That a manager comes in and coaches a current crop of players and makes them a better team. That is proper coaching. That is proper coaching and managing. And that's what it's about. And Michael Carrick clearly has it because he's done a phenomenal job. So that's the state of play in the championship. But to finish the Gegen pod, we're going to talk a little bit of La Liga. Optus Sport brings you live La Liga at breakfast. 7 El Clasico. Barcelona take on Real Madrid. Benzema, Lewandowski, Vinny Jr. El Clasico. Live 7am Monday. Only on Optus Sport. 
Yes, it's El Clasico for breakfast on Monday, March 20th, the coming Monday. That's Australian Eastern Daylight Time, so do not miss it. Barcelona against Real Madrid. And Barcelona go into this Clasico with a nine-point buffer after a very controversial win against Athletic Club. Uh, a disallowed goal for a handball late in the game in Yucky Williams with a great finish, but there was a handball in the build-up and VAR coming to Barcelona's rescue. Uh, the headlines, Mark, certainly don't help given uh, the Barcelona paying for the referees uh, seems to be the uh, the angle that Marca are going for and every Real Madrid fan in the country would have been uh, absolutely throwing their remotes at the television had they dared to watch. But uh, Xavi's happy, a very matter-of-fact after the game, and Barcelona go into this class with a nine-point buffer. It's Real Madrid's absolute last chance, if they haven't blown it already, to mount any sort of a comeback. Yeah, look, I'd like to see Real Madrid win just to to, to make it a bit more exciting um, in La Liga, for sure. But Barcelona, I mean, <laughs> there are so many reasons why people will have their hackles up about Barcelona. The, the financial fair play issues, the way that the club's been run over years. Now the, the information, supposedly a payment towards uh, an official or a referee or, or a director of, of, of the referees. I mean, if it, look, it's only, it's only accusations at the moment. So, but if it would be proven to be correct, I mean, that, that's just monumental. Um, but you can't detract from what Barcelona is doing on the football pitch and what Xavi's done with his side and be able to turn it around. Um, so he clearly has got a grip of it knows what he's doing and is, is, a, is a very, I mean, he was a world, unbelievable player, but obviously is a good manager as well. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see Real Madrid win just to even it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, I think uh, we need some excitement, uh, you know, at the top of the table. And yeah, I'm just still surprised about how Barcelona have done it because, you know, we've, we've talked about Barcelona in the past. It's always been about Messi and about the goals and about the attacking play, but but this season, it seems to just be scraping one nils. Def- defense goalkeeper is, you know, unbelievable. Uh, the, you know, they they just <laughs> they've just done it in a totally different, you know, on Barcelona way. I think, uh, which is exciting. Um, but on the other hand, I would love to see them score a few more goals and and be a little bit more. Um, a little bit more attacking. Um, so it'd be interesting. This game, as you said, is the last, it's the final straw for for Real Madrid, and it's at uh, New Camp. So it'll be uh, interesting. Uh, you know, definitely an interesting game. Can't wait for it. Now, as part of the countdown to El Clasico, uh, classic uh, matches between these two teams are available on Optus Sport all through the week if you want to go and relive some of the best El Clasicos that have been played between Barcelona and Real Madrid. And as part of a little bit of the fun, we're going to go for a rapid fire. Don't spend too long thinking about this. Gut instinct. Your Clasico best 11 of the 21st century. Uh, so given the form Mark Ander to Stegen is, does he edge out Ike Casillas or do you have a different goalkeeper you want to put in between the sticks now? Combined El Clasico best 11. Uh, I think Mark is going for Bodo Ilkner, for sure. <laughs> you know what? That's uh, so funny. I was thinking that, <laughs> but it's since 2000, so he just misses out. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, for me, Casillas all the way. Casillas all the way. Do you want us to name a full team? Uh, I'm uh, going to throw some names at you and just give me your gut reaction, yeah. Yeah, look, Casillas, I think you can't go away from Casillas because of what he's accomplished at Real Madrid and, and the trophies, the, the the longevity in the side. Ter Stegen obviously has done incredibly well at Barcelona, certainly of late. 
um, but he's not there as yet in terms of 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 trophies and and longevity at the club, even though he has been at Barcelona for quite some time now too. Give me two centre backs. Uh, here are some starters: Ramos, Puyol, Pique, Hierro. Anyone else you want to throw in the mix? Give me two. I will go for Ramos and Puyol just because they they just embody the spirit of both clubs. I think they uh, you know they're fighters. Um, they've won trophies. Um, you know, you know, hero and and PK, good players, but did the others just have that? Yeah, they're just a symbol of the club as well, on top of 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 them as players. Yeah, I have to agree. I think it's difficult to look beyond Ramos and Puyol. I mean, Hierro was unbelievable as well, but I, I think Ramos Puyol definitely, uh, def- definitely just just. Uh, just pip it. Left back's a tough one, especially given that uh, a lot of Roberto Carlos's career, uh, well, the best of his career was probably before the new millennium. So, uh, Marcelo or Jordi Alba? Uh, I'll, I'll go Marcelo just for for the flair. Uh, you know, Jordi Alba is probably a better defender, but uh, yeah, Marcelo. You, you, you always you always love to to see him play. You know, he's always exciting, bombing forward, his hair flying all over the place. <laughs> so I'll go for him. I know it's hard to it's hard to look beyond Roberto Carlos, isn't it? I mean, the, the legend, the the man mountain that the wee man is. I mean, he's phenomenal. Um, I know, like I know, it's most of it's pre two thousand, but I've got to say, I've got to say Roberto Carlos just because it's Roberto Carlos. I have to. Uh, as far as uh, right backs go, again, uh, M- Michel Salgado is probably more the the choice, you know, from right at the turn of the millennium. But he did play into the two thousands. Uh, or is, does Dan, is Danny Alves clear there? It, it's kind of a what sort of right back is is your flavour? That question. Yeah, I'm I'm going to go with Danny Alves. I, I think he's he's the one that that does pip it ahead of uh, Salgado. Yeah, no, he's he, Danny Alves is the most you know winning footballer I think in in history. So uh, I don't think you can go past it, despite his his recent uh, escapades, which obviously detracts a bit. But for, on the football pitch, for sure. You know he has to he has to get in there. Based on the names you give me, we can work out the formation later, or we can leave it to the graphic designer to to try and shoehorn our midfielders in. Uh, let me throw some names at you. Uh, give me two or three out of Xavi, Iniesta, Zidane, Modric, Busquets, Laudrup, Deco, Cruz. Who do you want? Wow. Can we pick five or six? <laughs> but then you then you're out of wingers and strikers. That's the problem. Okay. Uh, I'm going to leave out Busquets. I'm going to leave out Deco. I'm going to leave out Cruz. Oh, now I'm starting to struggle. Uh, I would love to put Laudrup in there. I think he's he's still one of my all-time favourites. Uh, so yes, I'm going to put Laudrup in there. And he was a great he was a great El Clasico player too. Yeah, and he won the championship for both clubs as well. Um, so and Sidan, I'm going to go and then oh, Savio and Yesta, Modric, sadly. Sadly, I have to leave him out. So, Savi, I'll probably go Savi. So, Sidan, Laudrup, and Savi for me. Yeah, I'm going to go slightly different. I'm going to go Xavi, Iniesta, and Zidane. Okay, uh, let's go to some of the uh, attacking midfielders and wingers then. Uh, Rivaldo, oh. Ronaldinho, Beckham. Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo. And I'll put that in the context of your strikers include original Ronaldo, Samuel Eto, David Villa, Thierry Henry, Ruud van Nistelrooy. So uh, as far as a front three, uh, if this is going to become a 4-3-3, who, who are you looking at trying to name in this team? Well, you know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go early, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go the original Ronaldo up front. <laughs> Has to be the original Ronaldo. I'm going to okay, go... you've got two players to go. I'm, I'm interested here. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, Ronaldinho, and then Ooh. I'm going to go... <laughs> Messi. <laughs> oh! He's picked, he's picked sides. Oh, my God. Uh, I know. Phew. How dare oh. I? <laughs> oh, what? Uh, my God. Um, I, I, I have to put... Ronaldo and Messi in there and Ronaldinho I would love to put him but if we got to pick a striker as well uh, uh, original Ronaldo for sure definitely for me up front so Ronaldo and Messi in behind original or Rando and then Ronaldinho will be my first man on the bench for sure <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe neither of you picked David Villa I mean okay Rivaldo no. yeah, a lot of his best no. stuff in the no I think no. when you look at the Classico when you look at that Barcelona team though David Villa was he's the reason Barcelona capitalized on the good work of uh, Xavi and Iniesta and that and that amazing team Yeah but you can't go you can't go away from got the-, the original Ronaldo you can't you can't go away from the original Ronaldo <laughs> he is like the original he is like phenomenal well, that is just a, a show. I think who we've left out shows just what an incredible matchup El Clasico is. And it's Lewandowski's turn now. It's over to him to have his uh, El Clasico moment, uh, given that it was Fede Valverde and Real Madrid who won the first meeting between the teams in La Liga. That is coming up 7 a.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Optus Sport. Everyone's going to be watching over their breakfast on Monday. That's it for the Gagan Pod this week. Thomas Sorensen and Mark Schwarzer, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'll see you next week, Theo. See you, Theo. Yes, a big thank you to Mark Schwarzer and Thomas Sorensen. The Premier League has two Thursday games this week at 6.30am Australian Eastern Daylight Time with Southampton against Brentford and Brighton taking on Crystal Palace. The weekend action starts at 7am on Saturday morning with Nottingham Forest hosting Newcastle. Goal rush is 2am Sunday with four games including Tottenham's trip to Southampton. Chelsea play Everton at 4.30am on Sunday and you can see Arsenal against Crystal Palace at 1am on Monday. All times Australian Eastern Daylight Time. La Liga continues with a Saturday 7am kickoff between Valladolid and Athletic Club. It kicks off 10 live games through the weekend culminating in El Clasico on Monday morning at 7am Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Don't miss it. Barcelona hosting Real Madrid. The WSL has a Thursday game at 6am as Tottenham play Leicester City, then five live games through your weekend, including a primetime kickoff 10.40pm on Sunday night for Manchester City against Sam Kerr's Chelsea. All times Australian Eastern Daylight Time. And don't forget, you can watch the J-League and K-League live on Optus Sport. Jump onto the Optus Sport website or app for broadcast details. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate us five stars while you're there. My name's Teo Pelizzeri. Thanks for listening to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. This was The Gagan Pod. Can I get both of you to say goodbye, please? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure no, no, you no, wanted no, to say. Just, give me, yeah. just one after the other. Okay. Give, just give, thank you and goodbye or something like that. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.